Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Diversity is a racket. And it is imperative that we don't fall for it. It's imperative that we note that there are organizations and universities that have all bought in to the very concept of diversity, but they don't mean it because they have no room for diversity of thought. And what they claim to be in favor of is nothing more than pure, outright, unadulterated bigotry. Now, I know on a day like today when it's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, you don't know what's going on between Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. You have China very upset that we will be engaging this diplomatic boycott of the Olympics, although they're claiming that they're not upset. It's like uh, when you ask your wife, what's wrong? And she goes, nothing. You, 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 know, you know something's wrong. You know something's wrong. Right? If you, if you uh, follow the rules of all of those kinds of uh, uh, TV sitcom shenanigans, you know something's the matter. I mean, there's a lot to get to, and I plan on getting uh, to, to, to all of it, including Jesse Smollett on the stand. Holy cow. That is special. But this diversity thing got to me. And this diversity thing got to me because of what I I learned here. It's this It's this tweet about how Ohio State has 132 people hired in the diversity, inclusion and equity world. Now, some people call it diversity, equity, inclusion. These people call it diversity, inclusion, and equity. I've seen that before. But that spells out DIE, D-I-E, as opposed to D-E-I. I I always thought that was meant to be an insult to to change the words because die. I mean, that's that's pretty dire. But okay, fine by me. I want to say for the record, I want to be on the record. As is presented in schools and in universities and in, in business, Diversity, equity, and inclusion is pure, raw, unadulterated bigotry and teaches hate. I want no part of it. And I don't appreciate the places that engage it. I don't think any employee is better. I think employees are actually tortured by having to go through this kind of nonsense. Certainly students are. Ohio State University has 132 people associated with directly or indirectly with their diversity and equity world. The Office of Institutional Equity at Ohio State University. Then you've got the Academic Director of Diversity and Inclusion, the Director of the Office of Institutional Equity, the Vice Provost of Diversity and Inclusion. I'm sorry, that's the Associate. Then you have the Vice Provost of Diversity and Inclusion. You know how much the Vice Provost of Diversity and Inclusion is making at Ohio State University? $256,000 a year. I don't know what they do, except I, I know exactly what they do. Hold on. 
The highest ranked person is the associate vice president of the Office of Institutional Equity who makes $289,600 a year. Producer Ari, I'm going to bet that that's more than you make. Uh, just a little bit, yeah. So so uh, just wanted to be clear about that. The lowest ranked person in terms of salary is the program assistant for diversity and inclusion who makes $26,490 a year. In all, in total, before benefits, the total payroll for diversity, equity, and inclusion at Ohio State University is $10,155,761. It's a payoff. It's a $10 million payoff to say, please don't hurt us. Don't call us racist, please, please, pretty please, with sugar on top. This is what happens when you are chock full of guilt. This is what happens when you buy into wokeness. $10 million a year not focused on the students in any way, shape, or form. This is 132 people on the grift. I put forth to you an argument. For lack of a better word, let's call it an argument. You do not need any of these types of officers to run a business or a school that isn't, isn't, is not, thank you, a bigoted hellscape. It's not necessary. There is no way you need 132 people to do this. Absolutely, positively, no way. You do this so you can be seen as woke. So groups like Black Lives Matter or whoever else on TV or whoever else in celebrity culture won't come at you. You do this at $10 million a year to buy your freedom. From an unruly, nonsensical, pseudo-intellectual, bigoted mob. I'm sorry, I can't, uh, I can't get down with that. I would get rid of every diversity, equity, and inclusion officer in every college, in every high school, in every middle school. And when I see uh, companies hire somebody for this position, I know that that is not a company that is really focused on what's best for its employees. Because I would make the argument that if you worked for a place that is so bigoted it needs someone like this, maybe you shouldn't work there. Now, it doesn't mean you can't not work there. You might need the job. I'm going to get to a whole thing about Prince Harry coming up. Holy cow, that's a story. But is your company really that bigoted? Every day you walked in, it was just a, just a bunch of bigots hanging around? Your CEO was allowing that to take place and didn't think, hmm, maybe this hurts the, the bottom line. Maybe this hurts uh, the, the, the culture we're trying to create. They needed a DEI officer to make this happen. First, let us make sure we all understand, if, as we keep kind of backing up a little bit, that the diversity, equity, inclusion officers don't actually believe in diversity of thought. They don't believe in diversity of thought. They don't encourage diversity of thought. As a matter of fact, diversity of thought is always pushed to the far fringes. Because diversity of thought might mean something that's bigoted and therefore we can't allow that. Inclusion? 
Name for me one political conservative who has been hired to be someone's uh, uh, office uh, officer uh, in charge of diversity, equity, inclusion. Show me one. One. And if you show me one, I would bet that you're showing me the only one. If you were to show me 5,000 people on the grift getting hired for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you showed me five conservatives, I would say to you, you proved my point. That this is bigotry at play, that you have to be a leftist to get these jobs. This is the political left rewarding financially the political left. That's all it is. And as for equity, I oppose the concept. I mean, I like it in my house. But the way they mean equity is about getting rid of the meritocracy. And I absolutely, positively will not have that. I will not tell people who worked hard they have to give to somebody else who didn't work hard, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their religion, regardless of their socioeconomic status. If you ain't willing to put in the work, that's the end of that. Equity means you don't have to put into the in the work you just get. I'll have no part of it. Now, part of my problem for these people, the, the DEI people, is that I have no guilt. I have none. Zero. I am not guilty uh, for my existence. I am not guilty because the color of my skin. I am not guilty because the color of my skin may resemble somebody else's skin who may have done something very awful and we would agree is awful. I have no guilt and I owe no one anything and allow me to take it a step further. My children don't owe you a holy damn thing and they ain't guilty. And if you say they are, I'm willing to fight you in the streets. I'm not the only one. A lot of parents right now banging their hands on the steering wheel, screaming hallelujah, and me too. 132 people dedicated to this this grift. Average salary of $77,000. A total estimated payroll cost with the benefits of $13.4 million, which, as Mark Perry points out on Twitter, would cover the in-state tuition for 1,120 students. Yeah, I'm going to... uh, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. I'm going to say no to Ohio State. Go blue. Can yeah, you I said no one should go to Michigan either. I know. I, can you imagine how crazy it's made me? I don't know if I'd say go blue, really. But compared to Ohio State. But wait till I find out that blue has got a higher payroll. Dude, the Big Ten's just done for you. How, how, how much money are these universities paying? I thought I was paying for my kid to get an education. No, I'm paying for somebody else's grift. Not interested. Not interested. I get that for a lot of people, man, this is some hard talk. But it's 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 always important to make sure people know where you are. I got this tweet before we we started today. Bobby Rowe. I don't know who Bobby Rowe is. He's out of California. He sends me a tweet. Tony Katz is a coward. All right. 
You haven't run your mouth before Bob Dole passes, but your alligator mouth and your hummingbird ass is very brave after he dies. First of all, hummingbird what? I never heard of such a thing. Your family must be shameful of their coward member who attacks a dead man. That tells us all we need to know about you, loser. I I never said anything about Bob Dole except he was a war hero. The only thing I said about Bob Dole was in response to MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan, who went after Bob Dole, and I said that's pretty disgusting to do to a World War II hero. And I've got people retweeting it. So sometimes it doesn't matter how clearly you say something, people will take from it whatever they can because, well, they're filled with with hate or what have you. I understand in the conversation about DEI, I'm going to get called a racist and all sorts of things. Does it matter if people on a grift call you a racist? Of course not. Did I ever say, don't teach history? Of course not. I have said, teach the good and the great and the bad and the ugly of America. The Tulsa Race Massacre, teach all of it. Slavery, teach all of it, but also teach all of it. Teach what was happening the world over regarding slavery, and then teach America's role in slavery. You should know Africa's role in in terms of uh, the continent and then specific nations in slavery. Tulsa Race Massacre, teach all of it. I've never said anything but. It doesn't matter to the people who who are out there wanting to destroy because their business is in the destruction. That's how they get their dollars. You don't think there are DEI officers all around where I live who have mentioned me in more than one meeting, would love to find a way to come out against me, to attack me, I have never said anything about them personally. I don't know any of them personally. They may be lovely people personally. What I said is I would get rid of the positions because these positions don't actually believe in diversity of thought. They don't include all people. They're actually rather exclusionary. And the concept of equity is one that is bigoted. You go back and you listen to what I said. I am talking about the position. I never once talked about the people. Social media folk and those who want to come after you, they always want to come after you personally. I once posted a video of people in Indianapolis stopping traffic with firearms because they were supporting Black Lives Matter. All I did was post a video. I didn't even take the video. I posted somebody else's video and said, hey, check this out. That was the totality of the commentary for posting the video they wrote about me as suspected white supremacist honestly if black lives matter the organization which is a bigoted communist organization is calling you a suspected white supremacist don't ever worry about it don't ever worry about these bigots bigots and in my case also jew haters what what i I can't do this too watch me work what are you gonna do do you not understand When I said I'm in for the fight, I meant the whole fight. You want to lie about me? I punch back. You want to engage in nonsense on on Twitter? I tell you you're a damn fool. Do I go after people personally to start with? Of course not. 
Because that's just wrong. You only discuss people personally when they show you who they are personally. What is DEI? DEI is a grift from people who don't want to get hurt. It's a payoff. It's a payoff. And Ohio State is paying off to the tune of $13.4 million a year. See what your university is doing. And then demand better. Or find another university. I'm Tony Katz. So Elon Musk making news. I don't think he said anything about Dogecoin. It wasn't. It wasn't that. I mean, it wasn't good news. <laughs> For some people, that might be some good news. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. Full disclosure: I own some Dogecoin, but it's, I, I I didn't do well like other people did well on on the on the on the Doge. It's my my timing in radio impeccable. My timing. Uh, on, on other things, less so. Less so indeed. But he's asked a question about um, the, uh, the Build Back Better agenda from Joe Biden. You know, what do you, what do you need from this bill? What are your needs? What do you answer him? Um, well, I, 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 to be, I mean, to be totally frank, I'm, I, I, I don't know if we... At least no, no one in Tesla has actually brought up whether they they care about this bill or not. I, I think if this bill happened or didn't happen, I, I, I don't know. We don't think about it at all, really. Okay. It, um, it might be better. Honestly, it might be better if the, if the bill doesn't pass. Because um, we've spent so much money, you know, it's like the, the, the federal budget deficit is insane. Um, you know, it's like three trillion dollar federal uh, expenditures are seven trillion. Uh, federal revenue is four trillion. That's a three trillion dollar uh, d- difference. in uh, if this was a company, it'd be a three trillion dollar loss. So, uh, I don't know if we should be adding to that loss. That seems pretty crazy. Um, something's got to give. You can't just spend uh, three trillion dollars more than you own uh, every year and expect. Uh, you know, don't expect something bad to happen. Nobody's interested in Build Back Better. No one. Because it doesn't build anything back, it's certainly not better. It is Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. We discuss it coming up next. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live... In infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation, and at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government and its emperor 
looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. That was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, then President of the United States. This was December 8th, 1941, because 80 years ago today, it was the attack on Pearl Harbor. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 2,403 American lives lost, 188 planes destroyed, 18 ships ships that were sunk or damaged. Stuart Goodwin joins us right now, a U.S. Air Force retired brigadier general. He's also the executive director of the Indiana War Memorials Commission. Uh, for those of you who don't know Indianapolis, more war memorials here than any other place in the country outside of Washington, uh, D.C. It's quite a sight to behold. And, and sir, always good uh, to have you with us. Uh, 80 years uh, between uh, Pearl Harbor and today, you work with a lot of veterans. You are, are engaged in a lot of remembrances for these types of events. Is there a surrealness that exists being 80 years later that we have uh, most of those veterans who have a past, very few still surviving, that this just becomes something that's a part of memory? Or is it still, do you think, for Americans as tangible as it was 50 years ago or 20 years ago? Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you, Tony. Um, I think that uh, it's, it is an opportunity. Uh, of the 16 million uh, U.S. Uh, service members that uh, served in this war, there's only 325,000 left alive. And so my father was a World War II vet. Uh, the, one of the best things about this job is that I get to spend time with these veterans, and uh, Brokaw had it right. This was the greatest generation. Any time that we can tell these stories and make sure that they're never forgotten is uh, what we ought to be doing. Talk to me about, uh, you, you. as I said, you talked to many veterans uh, about this, and you certainly spoken to people who were there. As, as they tell you uh, stories of your history, uh, your, your studying of history, the experience of realizing they were under attack, how quickly did that happen, that this wasn't something, hey, what's going on? This was an attack from uh, the Imperial Japanese. Well, uh, the story that I'd like to tell you very briefly is the fact that uh, a Hoosier by the name of Paul Kennedy uh, served on the USS Sacramento, which was a, uh, a tender and a gunboat. And uh, he had just gotten off a watch. And as we all know that this happened around 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, well, he had just gotten off of uh, off the night watch and uh, got got his clothes off and was in his rack uh, getting ready to take, uh, take his nap after work. And what happened was that the general quarters sounded and... Uh, he had a place that he needed to be, and it was behind one of the guns. And uh, this guy, I can't tell you, he was the, he was the typical World War II veteran, uh, had been there, seen a lot, and had gone on with his life and been very successful. And uh, he loved to tell this story. And so uh, he, he talks about the general quarters sounded, and the next thing you know, he goes to his gun, and all he has on are, in Navy terminology, his skivvies. In other words, he has nothing on but his underwear, 
he climbed into the gun and started to fire it. And uh, he, he talked about this one uh, Japanese Zero that went over his head, and he said that it was close enough that he could see the eyes of the pilot. And he always wondered about what that story of that pilot, we were hoping that he wouldn't get back home, but if he did get back home, he would talk about this crazy American that was behind this, uh, you know, this gun in nothing but his underwear. Well, you know, if, if that would have been enough to get them to stop, I would have taken that deal. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm taking that deal in a big way, talking to uh, Brigadier General Stuart Goodwin, retired uh, U.S. Air Force and Executive Director of the Indiana War Memorials uh, Commission. Uh, I, I know you take your work seriously. Uh, there was a lot of effort put into a, a, a rededication and a recreation of the 9-11 memorial uh, that we have in, in, in Indianapolis. Uh, and while uh, COVID took away a lot of abilities to engage in fundraising, and certainly uh, for me on a very personal level, took away from my ability to be able to be of more service to that fundraising, you never stopped. You kept it going. And now it's, it's, a, it's a more exquisite memorial than it was uh, before. Uh, the, the, the real, of course, Pearl Harbor memorial is, is there at Pearl Harbor and, and, and the USS Arizona. Uh, what exists around the nation uh, to remember Pearl Harbor Day? And, and how would you explain to people uh, ways to, to remember? Well, it's, it's, one of those, uh, it's one of those events that really does, you don't see a lot of, uh, of monuments in that business, but it is, a, it is a national recognized day. And I think it's like a lot of things that we try to do at the War Memorial is that we just try to make sure that it, it comes to light and gives people an opportunity uh, to learn about it. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about just very briefly was a situation that we had here at the War Memorial. Oh, it was probably 10 or 12 years ago where uh, I was sitting in my office working and they told me that there was a man downstairs that was terribly upset and he was in the Pearl Harbor uh, display. So I went down there, and it was a it was a, a a person who turned out was a Japanese citizen, and he talked about the fact that this was wrong, and Pearl Harbor never happened. And I said, "Well, sir, why do you you know?" He said he demanded that we take it down. And I said, "Well, first of all, that's not going to happen. But why do you feel that way?" And he told me that it was during the time in the 70s and 80s when they were actually teaching. Uh, in some of the schools that Pearl Harbor was not the start of the war, but the war actually started at Midway, and the United States was the aggressor. And I said, well, what makes you think that? Why, did, well, why wasn't Pearl Harbor real? And he says, because it was all about Hollywood, and it never really happened. And it made me think about education. It made me think about what's going on today about people rewriting history and one of the most important things that we can do on Pearl Harbor is to tell the story and make sure that they understand. And I, I got to tell you real quick. So I, I, I got to interrupt. So he was educated in Japan and they never taught they never taught that part of history. What they did, they taught it from the Battle of Midway. And that, because they didn't want the, they didn't want the Japanese, the country of Japan to be the aggressor. They wanted to make sure that the United States was the aggressor. And so it just tells you about what what can happen with people if we don't get our education systems right and if we don't continue to use these holidays to make sure that everybody understands what the what the ground truth is. When we talk about uh, truth and we talk about uh, 
knowing history, how much of that is is what you do, whether it's the kids who come through some of of the memorials, and uh, I got to assume this happens in other parts of the country as well, or 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 um, just maybe your work with, within, uh, do you get invited to classrooms? What do you find people don't know or have confused about, well, specifically history to World War II? Well, we do that every day. In fact, education is one of the biggest things that we do because we specifically talk about Hoosiers. And we started a rule when we came over here to this job. We call it the 90-10 rule. Only one out of 10 people have served in the military. 90% haven't. So we think our mission is to educate the 90% who did not serve about what the 10% did that we can all live free. And so we spend every day and I do research every day on different parts of history because what happens is it's not even being taught in most schools. And the, when back in the when the earth was cooling and I was going to school, what history was taught was this is the date it started, it was the date it ended, and this is who won the battle or who won the war. When the fact of the matter is that what is so much more important are the reasons about why did we have the war, not the results of it, about what started it and why – why were these countries willing to send their sons and daughters, their fathers and, 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 uh, and grandfathers to, to war? What was the cause of it? And what did we learn from it? That's what's really important about history. General Stuart Goodwin, Brigadier General, United States Air Force, retired and executive director of the Indiana War Memorials. I appreciate you taking the time uh, and sharing uh, some of the stories. And without question, we're, we're doing our part here. And I know you're doing your part there. Always good to talk to you, General. We've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Prince Harry is getting punched in the face. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. He's not physically getting punched in the face. I would not approve of such a thing. But in the metaphorical, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know how heavy you want to get. How, how deep into the metaphysical do you want to get? I'm there. I'm there for all of it, people. You want to get down into the mine trenches? Hot damn. We could drop some tabs together and see where we go. No. Ah, I thought we were closer. Prince Harry wants you to know that quitting work can be good for your mental health. And and I'm quoting here, many people around the world have been stuck in jobs that don't bring them joy. Yes. Clearly, producer uh, Ari has been speaking to Prince Harry. The man's got a point. There are plenty of people that are in jobs they don't enjoy. That don't bring them joy. The job doesn't bring them joy. What the job allows them to do might, like, for example, take care of their family. Like, for example, go on lovely vacations. Like, for example, afford that house or that car. Like, for example, feed people. According to the Duke of Sussex, with self-awareness comes the need for change. And you never earned a dollar you never earned it i'm not saying that your family lineage didn't kill a lot of people for it and i don't even find you guilty i don't think there's anything wrong with it it's just the way it went that's history this is today this is where you were born you're not guilty of that 
It is not your fault that your mother had an affair with the bodyguard. Oh, too, is that too soon? Really? Can we agree on nothing, people? What is important here is that your statement is flip and glib and is not in any way connected to greater realities. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this job gives me no joy. I cannot do this another soul-crushing day. I'm out. I think that's fine. But you may have to get a different job that also doesn't give you that much joy. Sometimes that's the way it works. But what a job does, you know, are you living to work or working to live? Right? That's part of the question. Meaning you can decide, all right, I do this for a living. It isn't my favorite thing in the world. But the life that it affords me is just so great and terrific. This is what I do. That makes perfect sense. People do that all the time. Then there are those people who are like, you know what? Every day I go to that factory and my back hurts. And I smell like grease. Every day. But I refuse to give up what this job allows for my family because they're going to have the better life. And that's the concept of sacrifice. Sacrifice matters greatly. And I will tell you that people who live lives where they don't have to sacrifice... They have never had to make a tough decision. Man, it's hard to understand what tough decisions are all about. If you've never had to do the work, if you've never had to make the choice, I'll ask the question this way. Has anybody ever missed the kid's softball game or football game or school play or or concert or, or name it? Got there an hour late because you were working? You're not a bad parent. (laughs) You're not. You're not a bad parent. You're doing what needed to be done for your kid to have all of that other life for the moments where you definitely are there. And uh, kids learn that you're, you're there in just the doing. Kids who are, well, taught respect and an understanding of hard work. But sometimes there are sacrifices. As, as I, I, I tell you this story, and, and I had the article from Daily Mail, there's a video up. And I don't, I don't know who the video is of. Um, it, it's, it's this young couple. I don't know. Maybe they're social media influencers, whoever they are. Uh, it, it's, it's an incredible house. And clearly a, a crap ton of money. And dear Lord, wouldn't you love this house? The, 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 the game room downstairs and how the TV pops out from behind the wall and, 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 and all the jazz. Sure. Wouldn't you love this with the, uh, with the wine cellar where the, where the racks move? And maybe your kid sees this and is like, why do you work so hard? You could just, you know, do what they do. Well, if you were to take a look at all the social media influencers in the world, I don't think you could fill a small arena of the people who are actually making money. 
Not everybody, and your kids need to learn this, not everybody is going to make millions just from uh, their birth, and not everybody is going to make millions from just doing some dopey video on YouTube. It's just not the way it goes. You got to have a plan, and you got to be willing to work. You have to be willing. Without it, you have nothing. And maybe the good fortune will come. But maybe there is something very, very noble in the doing. I'm not saying you don't wish it would be easier or anybody wish it would be easier. I'm not saying you're not doing something you just despise. I'm not telling you to live like that. I am telling you that there are plenty of people who may not be thrilled but what they, with the actual work, but what that work provides them, that gives them a satisfaction that I don't think Prince, uh, Prince Harry has ever actually been able to feel in his life. And regardless of anything else, he comes off like an elitist snob saying it. There are things he should just not talk about. I've got more to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.